How many of you are hungry to hear from the Word of God this morning? How many of you are hungry to hear from our friend Clem? Okay, let me tell you who Clem is for those of you that don't know Clem. Clem is a longtime friend of Mount Helena Community Church. Uh, he, he travels the world ministering to churches. He's got lots of experience and stories, but uh, he loves Mount Helena. He's been serving us for many, many years, and he's an overseer of the church, which means that us, uh, the team of elders that lead the church, we look to Clem for some wisdom and counsel as we navigate uh, leading a church, and so he's been a great advisor to us. Would you give a warm Montana welcome to Mr. Clem Ferris? Thanks. Well, thank you, JR. Why don't you give a hand to JR, Janny, your leaders? Yeah. Man, they've done well through the last couple of crazy years. You have a great eldership team. Got to be with them the other night. I, I just love hanging out with the leaders. And let's welcome Leslie back. Come on, Leslie Redden. You need to pray for your elders and their wives. They're at the tip of the spear. If, there's, if the devil's going to attack and there's going to be warfare, they're going to go for your leaders first, and then they're going to work their way down. So continue to keep, you know, Corey and Julie aren't here, but, you know, keep them in prayer. And your other, Jason and Rebecca and, just, and Jeff and uh, Hillary, just keep them in prayer. Pray for your leaders. Just throw a prayer flare up every now and then. Pray for my leaders, Lord. Put a prayer shield around them. As they go, so does go, Mount Helen is going to go. And you have great leaders. I got to spend the, uh, the other night with them, and I just love their hunger, their heart for you. They're, they're very aware of uh, what's going on in our world. Look at this room. It's looking good. It's looking full. Two services coming, baby. Get ready. Y'all look at me like, please, no. Please don't say it's true. Well, do you want to reach more people? You're going to say, no, the church is just for us. Keep everybody out. This is my club. This is where I come. Come on, you're going to reach more people. There's something happening in the earth. Do you feel it? We, we have a saying, and you've met my pastor, Kendrick, from Grace Church in North Carolina, and uh, we... We have a saying now that we're, we're feeling that when we turn the corner into 2023, the way Kendrick said, he says, for the first time, I feel the wind at my back and not in my face. Yeah. Do you feel that? I feel it too. Everywhere I've been going already this year, I've been to the UK and been other places. I'm going to be in five or six different countries this year. I think the wind is at our back, church. We have the wind of the Holy Spirit finally pushing us where God wants us to go because he did a lot of surgery over the last couple of years. How many felt like you were in surgery? God just like put us in the OR operating room. It was operating on the church. The, the picture I saw was like the church was put into a cocoon for a couple of years. But you know what happens when a, when a caterpillar goes in a cocoon? God's metamorphosizing. He's changing. And God has changed the nature of the church. And now we're coming out, baby. And it's like, teach us how to fly. <laughs> the caterpillar had to learn how to fly. I think we're going to, the church is flying. Everywhere I go, there's something happening. Call it revival. Call whatever you want. We need it. Whatever it is, it's a move of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Just spread your wings. Uh, we're going to go some places. Two weeks from today, Super Bowl Sunday for the church. That's called Easter. That's our, that's our Super Bowl. That's the Super Bowl. Invite somebody. Invite somebody. It's one of the most open times people would actually receive an invitation to go to church. You know the number one way people come to church? Personal invitation. That'll never, the Internet has not changed that. Now... The number two way people come to church, internet. So have a good website, but invite somebody. Invite somebody. Wouldn't it be great? And I wouldn't say if everybody. What if half of you invited somebody to Mount Helena for Easter and they actually showed up? It's like, we're, uh-oh, we're out of space. So wouldn't that be a great problem? It's going to happen. Y'all look good. Are you okay? You made it through the snow. I thank you for the snow. That's why I'm going back to North Carolina Monday. It's like, 
This is why I live in the South. But no, I love Montana. Some of you know my history. I lived in Billings. My first job out of college was in Billings. I'd never been west of the Mississippi. That was a culture shock. 1979 in Billings, Montana. Yeah, they were still carrying guns. And it was like, what's this Eastern boy doing out here? But I love the West. And we lived in Wyoming, and I've lived out West. And I just love what God's doing here. Good things are happening. You ready? We're going to get in the Word. I love your theme, Easter people. I love that, Easter people. All the people that God put into his scenario and his drama to bring us to the culmination of the crucifixion and then the mighty resurrection of his son. What a story, yeah? What a story. We're going to get into that a little bit today. And I, what I want to do is I want to look at the role of the Holy Spirit in all these Easter people. That, I mean, I'm going to just touch on a few of them. But we're going to look at the role of the Holy Spirit and to realize that we just sang it. He's the God of heaven and earth. All the people that God used in the Easter story were under his jurisdiction. They were under God's command. God was orchestrating every human to put this whole amazing story together for the glory of God. So I want you to start in Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 and 18. And we see this phrase used by the Apostle Paul talking to the Galatians who were battling some things. They're like every church. Every church is battling. Why? We have humans. You might be sitting next to a human this morning. Be careful. They have flesh. <laughs> and that's what Paul's talking about. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, Paul said to the Galatians, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Ooh. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want. Anybody, can anybody relate to that? I can. Can you relate? I feel that tension? Yeah, how many never raise your hand in church? That's what I thought. Okay, this is not a hand-raising church. I won't make you do that, but someday. Someday soon, you'll just kind of inch that hand up. Yeah. So that's the, that's, the, that's the setup here. The setup for humanity is the flesh opposing the spirit and the spirit opposing the flesh. This is the tension. This is the war. This is what Paul's describing. It's the human condition, but he says in verse 18, but if you are, watch the phrase, led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Hmm. See, the Galatians were trying to put everybody back under the law to be sanctified and to follow God. He said, no, 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 no. You need to be led by the Spirit. If you go under the law, your flesh goes crazy. That's why legalism doesn't work. It actually empowers the flesh. Paul said, I didn't know what coveting was until the law said, don't covet. He goes, now I just want to covet. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> I had a friend that in a moment of insanity put on a birthday party for his seven-year-old son and invited six other seven-year-old boys. All the moms are going, what was he thinking? Seven seven-year-old boys for a birthday party. And the dad wisely said, I'm going to run a little experiment. So he got these little boys together. He goes, okay, boys, we're, uh, we're going to have a great time today. I'm going to go cook some hot dogs, and then we're going to have cake and ice cream. We're going to have games, but while I'm cooking the hot dogs, you go out and play in the yard. Just go out and have some fun. I'll call you when it's ready. I got one thing, one rule. They're going, yes, sir. See my wife's new flower bed over there? I don't want any of you boys going over and spitting in that flower bed, Okay. Yes, sir. Okay, go have fun. Go play. I'll call you when the hot dogs are ready. And he goes in the house, and he goes right to the window. Pulls back the curtain. He says, I've just watched. And sure enough, one by one, every one of those boys went over to that flower bed. They looked around, and they went, and they went and played. <laughs> every one of them. Now, why did they do that? 
Why did they go over and spit in the flower bed? That wasn't even in their thinking until what? The rule came. I don't want any of you spitting in my slime. That's us. That's us. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Why? The law actually empowers the flesh. So we need to be led by the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? How does that work? Well, Jesus gives some instruction about that to his disciples. And here we are. Now we're in the Eastern Jordan. John chapter 16, if you go there. And this is the great, uh, the Last Supper where Jesus gathers his disciples. They have the Last Supper. He's, he's setting them up for his departure. He's setting them up for this, the crucifixion and his burial and his resurrection. He's setting them up by telling them about how they're going to actually get through this by the Spirit. Watch this. John chapter 16, he talks about the way he's going to guide them. John 16, 13, he says, Jesus said to his disciples, now listen, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He's going to guide you into all truth or the truthful ways, the Greek says. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. How many know we have a speaking spirit? The Holy Spirit has a voice. He talks. He will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. That is wild, I think. Jesus is setting them up for this experience with the Holy Spirit. And he said, guys, don't get worried. Yes, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send the spirit of truth. I love that. He will guide you. This word guide, he's our guide. Greek word there is odagos. It's a nice little compound word, odagos. Odas is the root word. Odas means road, simply a road. How many have an odometer in your car? You have an odometer because it measures the road. Odas, road. Ago is this beautiful little powerful verb which means to lead. So if you put this together, to guide means to lead down the road. Literally to lead down an unobstructed path. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So he's going to always lead you in a truthful way. Not always convenient. Hello? Not always easy on flesh. But it's always the truthful way. To lead down a clear path. So if we allow the Holy Spirit to be our guide, Jesus promised he would lead us in a clear pathway. The word odagos actually comes from an old Greek word that also means a tour guide. Imagine that, a tour guide. You know, there's a difference between a tour guide and just a travel agent. A travel agent can book you a trip. They can sit at their desk, book you a trip somewhere on the earth, hotels, reservations, car. They can book you. They can tell you what's going to happen. Go to this website. I will be your agent for your trip. And never leave their desk. But a tour guide, ah, a tour guide is a professional at the area that he knows really well. He'll give you a tour. He'll give you the shortcuts. He'll tell you the best restaurants. He'll tell you, don't go there, but, oh, take that shortcut. And, oh, you got to see this while you're there. You're going to love this. A tour guide has already been there many times, so familiar with the territory that he can guide you in an unobstructed, clear way on your journey. You know the Holy Spirit is a professional tour guide. Why? Jesus said he knows the future. He's already been there. Isn't that amazing? That should be so mind-blowing to us as humans going, he knows the future. He's been there. He can direct us in the way we need to go. And we see that unfolding in the Easter story. See, the whole Easter story was a, a story that God already had created. He predestined it to happen. And the Holy Spirit is here for us to help 
guide us through our own journey, through our own experience. And that's what he was doing. He was setting up the disciples to be guided in the truthful ways. He will guide you. And see, part of our guiding systems, we have GPSs now. Isn't that cool? I'm so hooked. I can't even go to the grocery store without my GPS. I should. I've been there many times. It's like, just in case. (laughs) Just in case I need a detour. So we all have our guidance systems. And let me tell you about some faulty guidance systems and some that I've even used. Sadly, I've used it. It's a phrase to direct us actually to a faulty guiding system, and it's within every one of us. And here's a phrase that I used to use even when I was pastoring, sometimes giving counsel. And then one day, it's like the Holy Spirit arrested me because I began to see something in Scripture going, oh my gosh, that guidance system is not biblical. Here's the guidance system, and please do not raise your hand today, right now. If you've ever heard this phrase, when you need guidance, when you need to make a decision, here's what you need to do. Ready? Just follow your heart. Doesn't that sound so Disney? <laughs> Let your conscience be your guide. I mean, so like, just what's in your heart? Just, no problem. Just follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Please don't follow your heart. Why? Because of what the Bible says about your heart. What Jeremiah said, it's deceptive. It's wicked. Jesus said, where do murders and envying and bit- where does all that come from? Does it not proceed out of the heart? Uh-oh. You see, your heart is not a leader. It's never designed to lead you. It was never designed to guide you. Your heart is a follower. It's a wanter. It wants things. It desires things. It treasures things. That's your heart, my heart. So Scripture has some amazing thoughts on that. It's a very poor leader. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, you probably all know that one. It's trust in the Lord, not trust in your heart, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. We all know that one, right? We all know the other. I love First, Second uh, uh, Thessalonians 3. Jesus prayed, or Paul was praying for the Thessalonians. He says, may the Lord, watch, direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. The heart is designed to be directed. May the Lord direct your heart. And the classic, Psalm 119, the great psalm, the psalmist Longest psalm in the Bible, he comes up with this like, oh my gosh, Lord, incline my heart to your word, not to selfish gain. Why? The heart left alone is inclined to selfishness, selfish gain. So he had to pray, Lord, what? Incline my heart to your word, not to selfish gain. How many wake up in the morning inclined? Do you have little inclinations when we wake up in the morning? I'm cold, I'm tired. I want to hit the snooze button. I need coffee. I need a shower. What am I doing today? Where our hearts immediately go <laughs> inclined to our own selfish needs and wants and desires. We're, we're, we're wired that way. And so you have to pray and say, Lord, incline my heart to your word. That's a battle. Every, I don't know about you. It's a battle. And I think if, if, if he was writing that today, he said, incline my heart away from my iPhone. Somebody's thinking, I'm your, now I'm on a guilt trip, Clem. Leave me alone. But I, I fight that too. It's like incline my heart to my phone. What time is it? What's the weather? So we have this thing going on in our heart. And let me help you out. There's something that Solomon the Wise taught us about the heart and how it was designed to be led. In Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon in his wisdom gives instructions to his children, to his sons, and he says, my son, 
keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. He's talking about the word of God, the ways of God. Watch. Bind them on your heart and tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. What's he saying? We take the commandments of God, the word, the instructions of God. What do we do with them? He says you got to treat those like actual, like, like a rope that you bind around your heart. That's internal. And tie them around your neck. That's the external manifestation. And he says, so that when you walk, they will lead you. This verb I used earlier, ago in the Greek, the secular use of that word was used in agriculture. Or in ranching, we could say in Montana, in ranching, where a, a, a farmer would take a rope and tie it around the neck of an animal and then tug on the rope and lead the animal. Sounds simple, right? That's what they do. And I've, I've been in India and other rural third world countries, and in the morning you would see in villages like a little, little short Indian grandma walking out of the village with a rope. Behind her is like a 2,000-pound cow, and she's... Jesus is leading that cow out to the pasture so that cow can eat grass all day and come back in and provide milk and food for the family. And this is a daily ritual. And, you know, at any moment, little grandma's leading that cow. He could just go, I want to go the other way, and just fling his neck around. There goes grandma. He could just change his mind and go in his own direction. He has more strength than grandma. But he learned from a little calf when the rope went around his neck and the tug came on, he began to realize, if I follow grandma... I get breakfast every day. That's a good deal. I'm choosing to follow. I'm going to follow the tug, right? That's kind of the picture that we have here. It's kind of like if we allow the word of God and bind it on our heart by reading it and internalizing the word of God and his promises and tie it around our neck, then the Holy Spirit, he's got something to tug on. You ever had a tug on your heart? It's like, what is that? I just, I want to do this, but I'm being tugged. That's the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. Because the heart needs to be tugged on. The heart needs to be led. You need to give the Holy Spirit some rope to work with, everybody. That's why we've got to stay in the Word of God. And he'll bring scriptures to mind. He'll say, this is the promise, and this is the way. This is the truthful way. So we all need this. Like, gee, I need, I need my heart inclined. I need my heart directed. So in the Gospel of John, let's go back there for just a minute. Um, Here's this amazing story. It's pre-resurrection of Jesus, but it's the resurrection of another human. It's bringing a guy by the name of Lazarus back from the dead. And I want you to watch how Jesus was led by the Spirit. How many know Jesus was fully man and fully God? He was fully man. He operated on planet Earth as a human. But Acts 10.38 gives us a little insight. He goes, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. That was his human title. Jesus from an actual village with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. When Jesus was baptized in water as a human, he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit came down upon him. So here we have Jesus in this little bit, I mean, just really a, a tough time. And so we have the death of his friend Lazarus, John 11. A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. They keep saying the word ill. Guess what? In the Greek, it's not even, I'm sick, I have a stomach ache, I have a toothache. This is like sick unto death. He's dying. He was so sick, he was going to die. 
So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is about to die. That's how dramatic this moment is. And when Jesus heard it, watch what he responds. Um, this illness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God can be glorified. Really, Pastor? J.R. what? I got something in the hospital. My, my brother's in the hospital. He's about to die. Can you come visit? Ah, uh, you know. Give it a few days. I'm in no rush here. It's not unto death. It's for the glory of God. What? Grab your oil and get over here. So what kind of a pastor says that kind of a response? You think, does Jesus not care? The one you love. Notice what they're doing. They're appealing to his heart because they use, there's four different Greek words for love. This one is uh, phileo. It's, it's the, the kind of love you have for a family. It's family love, brotherly love, emotional love, love of the heart. You say, the one you love like a brother, he's about to die. They're trying to talk on Jesus' heart. But Jesus was never led by the heart, he was led by the spirit. That's why he said, hmm, what's the Spirit saying here? This sickness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God. And you're thinking, Jesus, you just don't love us. We thought you were like God in the flesh. You're always talking about love. That's not very loving. Well, no, it's not very emotional. And so John says, I better clear this up. Let me clear this up. So John writes the next verse. We call it a verse. (laughs) Look at verse 5. The next verse, John says, now... For clarification, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, Jesus uses the greatest love word, agape. He loved him by the Spirit. He loved him with the love of God, the agape, the supreme love of God. And where does that come from? The Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5, the love of God, the agape of God, is shed abroad into our hearts. You can't get it on earth. It's not manufactured. Google doesn't have it. Amazon doesn't have it. The love of God comes supernaturally to our heart by the Holy Spirit. That's where the love, that's where the agape comes from. And that's the operating system Jesus operated on, spirit love. That's why John said, don't get this wrong. Jesus did love Mary and Martha and Lazarus. That's why he did what he did. That's why it's like, this makes no sense. And then, you know, the rest of the story When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Are you kidding me? He's about to die. Who's got two days? And then after this, he said to the disciples, okay, time to go. Now we're going to go to Judea. And they're going, are you kidding? They tried to to stone you last time you went, Master. We can't go now. They're wanting to kill you. And he goes, well, now watch this phrase. He says this in verse 9. Are there not 12 hours in the day? Now he's making the difference between how you're being led by the Spirit, which brings light, Versus trying to be led by your emotions, your mind, your brilliance, Google, whatever you're using to guide you, which actually is not the same. It's darkness. Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, the light, he won't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. The psalmist, once again, Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. So Jesus is basically teaching his disciples even through this amazing story about life and death and resurrection, about walking in the light. Jesus had to wait until the light came and the Holy Spirit said, now go. He says, I'm going to go. They're going, don't go, don't go. He goes, no, 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 I got light now. 
when they first called and said, come, my brother's about to die. He goes, don't see the light yet. I'm waiting for the light. She said to wait for the green light. That's a nice little system for us sometimes. Red light, green light, yellow light. What's going on? Just ask, I ask the Holy Spirit sometimes. Do I have a green light here? I feel, ah, I feel yellow. Sometimes it's just blatantly red light, don't go. I mean, it's not complicated. The Holy Spirit wants to make it easy. Jesus is trying to make it easy. Light, dark. Love, whatever. There is light in us because of the Spirit of God. So guidance from the Holy Spirit, you see, does not come externally. We are such an external people. We are such a website people. We're such a screen people. We want everything external to guide us and lead us. Guidance from the Holy Spirit comes from within. Romans 8, 14, Paul said, all those who are led by the Spirit are truly the sons and daughters of God. That's how we were made. Once you come into the family and he's our father, we have that internal navigation system from the Holy Spirit. So go back to this word being led and this idea of being led. You have to be aware of that inner tug from the Holy Spirit. And it can be so gentle sometimes that you miss it. You have to learn and don't resist the tug. You know, you can resist the Holy Spirit. You can resist him. And if you get really good at it and consistent with it, it gets less and less. But you know what? You can reverse that. And you can pray. And you can say, God, I need your spirit. I need you to lead me. I submit to the Holy Spirit. Because there's more to it than just, ah, walking in the light. Ah, led by the Spirit. Floating on a cloud through life. Walking down easy street. I'm filled with the Spirit. Life is easy. Not according to this word. Not according to this word, I go. Those who are led by the Spirit, I go. If you're led by the Spirit, there's another part of being led by the Spirit, which if you don't understand flesh and spirit and warfare and humanness and divinity, then you don't really see what was happening in the life of Jesus in the Easter story. Because really the other idea of this word ago to be led comes from a derivative of the word ago, and it's the word agonizo. Agonizo is a derivative of ago, to be led. And it really means what it sounds like. It means to agonize. Oh, yeah. There's an agonizing part of humans trying to follow the spirit. We set it up in Galatians. See, the flesh wars against the spirit. There's an agony to that. It's a conflict. This word describes the conflict that we all have between our head, our great intelligence with computers and everything, our great minds, and the heart and the spirit. Do you know that there are times it can be agonizing to follow the Holy Spirit? This is the setup to the Easter story. This is what's going on in Easter people that look at the whole scenario and think of the disciples watching their master set this whole thing up, telling them what's going to happen. I must go to Jerusalem. I must die on a cross. And they're going, no, it doesn't make any sense. You're innocent. How can this be? We have great minds. Our minds try to talk us out of most spiritual things. Let me give a few church examples. You're all church people. You're in church. So let's talk about tithing. No. Anything but tithing. Well, you know what? Tithing, giving to God. How many know that makes no sense? Giving to an invisible God, but we just sang, God of heaven and earth, God, you're mighty, you're holy. Give. Ah, it doesn't make any sense. My mind can't. I just did my numbers last night. Just did our budget. 
I mean, that can be, I, I'm 41 years in the kingdom. I still wrestle. I still look and I go, hmm. <laughs> I still have to be led to do the things that the scriptures require of me. Oh, my goodness. Financial gifts, it's sacrifice. How about just sharing Christ with somebody? How many know that's a wrestling match? Go talk to that guy. Hmm, not today. You're at work, right? You go by the same guy every, every week. You know, old grumpy, old grouch. And one day, the Holy Spirit walked by old grumpy, that old grouch. And the Holy Spirit says, go talk to him. Well, not today, maybe tomorrow. And so tomorrow you walk by old grumpy, and you need to talk to him. <laughs> and that just keeps talking. Finally, you go, okay, whatever. So one day you finally go slowly, and old grumpy's sitting there. You go, say, hey, Bob, how you doing? Well, not so good today. Why? And Bob begins to open up his heart to you. <laughs> Shares a problem. Then you go, Bob, can I pray for you? Would you? Yeah. I mean, suddenly everything changes because the Holy Spirit wanted that. And you're just sitting there like fighting it because it makes no sense to my head to talk to old grou- the old grouch because he's just, you're, you know, see how our head fights simple things like go talk to that person? And we do. We all go through that. I'm trying in the lobby. I mean, if you can't get it going here, you're going to have a harder time out there. Practice in here. Practice out in your foyer. Practice next week when you're signed up for small groups. I just run a little test. Say, okay, God, lead me to somebody. Holy Spirit, lead me to somebody. Somebody new. Not my friends. Those are easy. Lead me to somebody different. Walk up and say, hey, are you new at Mount Helena? No, I've been here eight years. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but that, that proves the point. Anyway, yeah, first time here, how'd you And just strike up a conversation. You would be amazed how God is going to connect. That's what small groups are all about anyway, connecting people. We have a saying at Grace Church, we do life in small groups. You don't do life in rows. We do life in circles. Hey, it's great to come and hear a message at Mount Helena. Life change doesn't really take place in 40, 30 minutes listening to a message. You might get something to take home. But you know what? Life change happens when you get into a small group and you start sharing your life and people can pray for you and you just open up and you confess and then they love on you and prayer happens together. Why? Transformation takes place in small groups. That's the story of the Bible. That was the New Testament. They did all their transformation in small groups, hanging out. That was a paid announcement by your eldership. Anyway, let's go back to the message. <laughs> right there in the notes. Did I get it right, Jeff? Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. All right, so let's finish up. Let's, let's, get this, <clears throat> let's hone this down into the Easter story. Some of the Easter people that the Holy Spirit was using to bring this thing to a culmination. And so we go to Luke chapter 22, the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the setup, and we're, you know, we're, we're two weeks away from our traditional Easter celebration. In Luke 22, we see the story unfold. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we start in verse 39. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and then he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Hmm. Now, Luke wrote it from his perspective. Some of the other gospel writers have the same story, which we're going to look at in a minute. But Matthew says something a little more intense. Matthew says it this way. Well, Luke says, you know, he walked away about a stone's throw, and then he knelt down and prayed. And we all have that, you know, that old picture of Jesus in the garden with the big rock, John, you know, that big rock, and it's all shiny. And Jesus is kneeling, 
His hands are folded. His robe is clean. His beard is trimmed. His face is kind of shining like an angel. He's just there, serene. Oh, Father, if there's any way out of this, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will. Thy will be done. Amen. It's so easy to follow the Holy Spirit. Right? Well, Matthew goes, excuse me, Luke. Let me just describe a little further what happened. Luke, when he's writing about it, he says, it went about a stone's throw a day. And Luke says, and he fell on his face. He didn't kneel on a nice rock. Jesus fell on his face and he cried out, Father, Father, if there's any way out of this, do it now. It's getting close. I can see Calvary, Father, any way out of this. And he did it three times. He did it to the point that, yes, even, even, even Luke says that there appeared to him an angel strengthening him. Why? He was losing strength. He's crying out. He's pouring himself out before the Father. On the ground in agony, he said. Watch. And being, verse 44, in an agony. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was in an agony. He prayed more and more. He cried out. Jesus himself was conflicted. He had the same conflict you and I have. He's in an agony. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, he was just teaching his disciples to follow. This same Holy Spirit is now taking him to the cross. And he's in agony. Why? Because he's being led by the Spirit to his own death. To the point, God looked down and said, angels get down there and strengthen him. He's not going to make it. We got we to get this thing through. See how God's just sovereignly in control of everything? Even when you're at your weakest, I'm weak, I can't even do this. He goes, send reinforcements. God will send reinforcements to get his will done. He sends the angels. His sweat, it says, watch. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Oh my gosh, it's a true medical condition. Hemotidrosis is where you're under so much physical and emotional stress that your body begins to send signals and your cells open up, your skin pores open up, and blood, the pressure pushes out right through your sweat pores, and it's like you're sweating blood. This was happening to Jesus. Do you understand the intensity of the moment here? This is an Easter moment. And some would say, well, he pushed through, he made it, and then he made it to the cross and got the victory. I agree with that scenario, but I want to tell you something. I really believe... This is where Jesus got the victory when he said, nevertheless, not my will. Every one of us will always come to a point. We are agonizing over following the Holy Spirit in some kind of a decision, some kind of part of your journey while here on earth, where you get to that moment and your head and your heart are in conflict. And you're agonizing over being what the Holy Spirit wants and what your head is telling you. And we all must come to that place. We say, nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. Do you know God's going to answer that prayer? When you say, God, I don't understand this. This makes no sense to me. Nevertheless, not my will. So John, one more gospel writer, he has, how many need a little, what we call humorous relief right now? It's like, we could use a little humor right now, Clem. You're pretty intense. I said, well, this is an intense story. But I think John puts a little bit of a humorous spin on this story. 
In John chapter 18, I don't have it on the slides, but just, I'll just uh, kind of walk you through John's scenario. Here they are back in the Garden of Kindred Valley, and it says, verse 2 of John 18, Now Judas, who betrayed him, how many know you always spice up the story when Judas enters in, right? And how many know Judas is one of the Easter people? Hello? He's in the script. God wrote him in the script from the beginning. It's in the Old Testament. <laughs> Judas shows up right on time, right on script. He's an Easter person. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place where Jesus often met with his disciples. So Judas, watch, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, he went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Do you get the picture? They're going to be a rumble in Gethsemane. It says Judas got together a band of soldiers. You think, a band of soldiers? How good musicians would soldiers be? What can they play? Are you talking about drums and... What kind of a band was it? Well, let me help you with this word band. It's actually a, a Greek word, uh, spira, but it actually comes from the Roman cohort word. It was a Roman cohort, which could be anywhere between three and 600 soldiers. Some say there are at least 500 Roman soldiers at the garden that night. Wow. This wasn't a small thing. And then you have all the other soldiers from the Pharisees. They do some other people. Yeah, there could have been six, 700 people there that night at the garden for one guy. For one guy who's being led by the Spirit. They're coming to take him. I know all those soldiers were Easter people. God set this whole thing up. And then Jesus, watch this phrase, verse 4 of John 18. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him. How did he know all that would happen to him, Jason? How would he know? Oh! The words of his own mouth. The Spirit will guide you. Why? He knows the future. See, Jesus knew even these guys were going to show up. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him. Are you ready for the humorous part now? This is where I just think sometimes the writers of the gospel didn't realize how funny they were. Just, we're just telling a story, but this is so lightning. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, he came forward and he said, <clears throat> Whom do you seek? Or as we say down in the south, Who are y'all looking for? Who are you looking for? Like he didn't know. You see how he's playing with them. Here's, here's God. The son of God. God himself. Just toying with humans. Like, hey, hi guys, nice try. 700? Not bad. I could call down a legion of angels right now, wipe you all out. But I could, but I won't. So who are you all looking for? We seek Jesus of Nazareth. And then this is the moment I think is hilarious. We seek Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus goes, Almost like he goes, uh, Father, can I just tell him who I really am? Is that okay? Almost like Superman going, can I just open up my shirt? <laughs> can I? And I feel like the Father's just going, oh, go ahead. Just tell him real quick. We've got to get on with this. <laughs> Jesus stands. Whom do you see? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus goes, I am. Well, just woke somebody up. That's good. That was your wake up. Oh, we're almost done. That means we're almost done. I ego a me in the Aramaic. He shouts it out, I am. It was so powerful. He actually revealed who he was. I am God. The I am is standing in front of you. You're looking for a man. You found God. And when he said, I am, it says, according to John, all those hundreds of soldiers were thrown back and landed on their back looking up at the stars. He laid them out like, Bowling pins. 
Somebody go, that is cool. Come on. Come on, you young guys. Like, that's, what, that's like a video game. <laughs> and it was, I mean, whoa, come on. Talk about power. Who had the real power in the garden? Those soldiers? Rome? Caesar? Or the I am? He mowed them all down. And then Peter. One more. I think you're going to preach on Peter. Tyler? Tyler's going, uh, I, I will now. No, I'm sorry. I, I just was looking at the schedule. Anyway, Peter. He's such a great Easter person. Peter looks at this, and you see Peter. You know how Peter was. He's finally going, finally, finally he's doing the stuff. Now he's taking over Rome. He's mowing down soldiers. Yeah, let's get in. And Peter pulls his sword out. He's looking for blood now. And Peter sees Malchus. Malchus is like the press secretary for, you know, the high priest. He was always putting up bad press over Jesus. He sees Malchus. He goes, I'm going for Malchus. He takes a sword. Now, remember, Peter's a fisherman, not a swordsman. So he goes over and he casts his sword. <laughs> he goes, and I don't think he was going for the ear. He wasn't that good. He's going to take his head off. <laughs> and off comes Malchus' ear and drops on the ground. And he's like, Pete. I have a question. Was Pete actually being led by the Spirit? You see any, any contrast between what Jesus and old Pete? <laughs> and Jesus reaches down and heals the servant's ear. What? What is going on in the garden? What are these Easter people experiencing with the power of God? What's the Spirit of God up to? He's healing people in the garden. Enemies. Well, he had to. You know why he had to? Because Peter committed a political crime, punishable by execution. They could have taken Peter away. Said, that's it. You'll be executed along with your, your great boss here. So Jesus had to reach down and heal. I don't know what if he put the old one back on like super glue. If he created a new one, we don't know. He just healed him. Good thing they didn't have, you know, iPhones back then. Somebody videoed that. Ah, we saw him take it off. No, there's the video. No, no, it's on now. What? It's like today, right? What, what, fake news, real news. What is it? Did he heal him or not? Look, his ear's fine. It's like, well, why did he have to do it? Because he would have died. He would have been killed. And Jesus is like, Pete. What are you doing? You're preaching in 40 days. You're on the schedule. You're opening the church, dude. And then he says, enough of this. It's like, it's like that this thing could have gone on. The spirit could have taken over, mowed down soldiers, done all this rescuing. Jesus says, enough of this. Put your sword away. I must drink the cup that the Father has given me. Back to Luke, and we'll finish right here in Luke. Luke chapter 22, where we were. We see this amazing finish to what was started. It says, they seized him and they led him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Then the soldiers seized Jesus after all this display of power in the garden. And I say to you once again, who was really the most powerful person in the garden that night. Who was being led by the Spirit in the garden that night? And they led him away. Same Greek word, ago. They literally put a rope around the neck of our Savior and dragged him off to the high priest's house. And what happened was they were fulfilling Scripture. You see, God's in charge of the whole, he wrote the whole script. He goes, yep, that's got to happen next, and that's got to happen. And then they got to lead him. Because it was Isaiah in the Old Testament that prophesied that event. How many know Isaiah was an Easter people? <laughs> because Isaiah looked, Isaiah looked down the corridor of time and saw this 
the Lamb of God being led to the slaughter. And that's what he said in Isaiah 53, 7. He says, like a lamb led to the slaughter. He wasn't being led by those soldiers. Those soldiers weren't leading him. It was the Holy Spirit leading him. He had the real power. He had the real passion. We call it the passion of the Christ. Where did the passion of the Christ come from? The Holy Spirit. Where does your passion come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit in you. But to be led that night, Jesus had to deal with the agony of his soul. And I want to pray for you right now because have you ever, you ever had that moment of agony where you felt like God was telling you to do something and everything in you said, this makes no sense and this is not comfortable. I don't know. We all have those moments. Your heart knew it and was being tugged, but your head was agonizing over it. And folks, this is the human struggle. We will have this struggle till he comes, but you can grow and you can be led by the Spirit. And every time you're led by the Spirit, he reinforces his voice to you, his love for you. He reinforces like, that's what God, oh, I recognize that voice. Oh, I recognize that tug. And the more it happens, it's like that, that cow from a calf. He began to recognize the tug, and then it was like effortless. Grandma just took him because he said, this is, this is how I live my life. Being led by the Spirit often comes with agony. Let me pray for you. Father, I know. Don't have to be prophetic to know. Why? Because there's humans in the room. And as humans, we have flesh. Flesh, by the way, your flesh is just you with no help. <laughs> it's, it's who you are with no, no aid. The unaided you is your flesh. And that's why Jesus said, I'm going to send the helper. You need help. Y'all need help. We need the helper to come and lead us and guide us. Father, for those struggling even today with a decision, with a marriage, with a child, with a boss, with another human just struggling, God, may we seek you with our whole heart. May we trust in the Lord with all of our heart, not lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge you. Like, God, I'm acknowledging you even though this is not ugly. It's not what I want. But nevertheless, nevertheless, may, may that be a word that's on your lips forevermore. Nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. And you'll be amazed. Just like the Spirit came in on Jesus at the garden led him through that agonizing experience. God sent angels. God mowed down. He just displayed. He did whatever he had to do to get him to the cross. And you almost have to say, God, whatever it takes to get me to my cross, because I must, I must know that I am crucified with Christ. Galatians 2, 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. We leave today, Father, as your children, led by your Spirit, yielding to your will in all things. May your glory come. May your grace come. May your joy come in this special Easter season. God, these are your Easter people in Helena. Use them mightily for your glory. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Clem.